Chris was always kind of our little star academician. He's always had this math talent. He loves math. I mean, he thinks in math. So when he decided to go back to school to get a master's in earth resources engineering, we were really excited for him. We had no doubt that this was going to be another very positive academic experience for him. At Thanksgiving, I started to be suspicious that he was having some paranoia. He was concerned that he was being followed. I didn't know if it was truth or fiction, but I had no reason to think it was fiction because his thinking was never skewed like this. Over his stay at home, I noticed some disorganized thinking, and that was the beginning of what was clearly something amiss. By the time he went back to school, we were on super alert. He was convinced we were all crazy and that this was real. Everything he thought was happening was happening. He was so afraid he was at risk, he moved out of his apartment and left all of his furniture, his stereo, his belongings. He moved to somewhere else and didn't tell me until afterwards. He was doing things that bipolar people do. He went shopping at Brooks Brothers and bought three pairs of shoes that were like a couple of hundred dollars each, and he had no money to do that. At night, I'd call Chris's apartment, and if he wasn't in his apartment, I didn't know where he was. It got to a point where I would go to bed at night and pray, just pray that everything would be okay. As an adult over the age of 18, short of him signing himself in somewhere, it was almost impossible to keep him hospitalized and get him treated. Too many people who need treatment aren't being treated because families' hands are tied. really comes back to the system failing the mentally ill, and it's not the mentally ill so much failing the system. To be honest with you, even with this tragedy in Newtown, my heart goes out to that family of that son because from what I've read, and I could be wrong, they were trying to get help. Finally, friends of ours had a doc that had treated someone in their family, and they said, you know, it's time to talk to him. I told him what was happening. And he said to me, you need to find three strong men who love him. And you need to go get him. And you need to take him to a hospital. And he said, I will work with you and try to help you ensure when you arrive, they will take it seriously. The last thing he said to me in that conversation is, I'm going to have my beeper next to me all night. And I'm going to keep it on tomorrow. And I am not going to rest easy till I get a call from you saying, he's in the hospital. And you shouldn't either. And so I called my oldest son and told him. He recruited his other brother, his father, and a very close friend of his who knew Chris very, very well. We went down 
And Chris was just, he had been at campus that day. He was in a rage over the fact that they had charged him for something he shouldn't. He was upset. He was glad to see us, and we told him we were going to go to his aunt's house who lived on the Upper West Side. He got in the car with them. The charred locks went down. I followed from behind because they didn't want me in the car. But I wanted him to know I was there. He started to realize something was wrong when we passed. We would have gotten off for her house. He was clawing at everybody to get out of that car. We arrived at Cornell Westchester, and a young man who was on call came out. I just threw myself at the mercy of this young doctor. When they ask you, is this person a harm to themselves or others, most people will say, I don't know. Because, you know, how do you really know unless there was a threat of suicide? And that wasn't the case. But you learn to say yes. Because the minute you say, I don't know, they can't do anything. The minute you say yes, they have to do something. So they admitted him. The doctor he was assigned to the next morning said to Chris, I'll make a deal with you. You take this medication and you'll get out of here in two weeks. You don't take this medication, I'm taking it to court. You're going to be here for the long haul. And Chris very wisely (laughs) chose to take the medication and not fight it. When he was discharged two weeks later, he was back. And he had the insight between the education they gave him there and the medications that he was stable, and then he went through this outpatient program, which gave him even more support. So Chris made a remarkable recovery, and he did go back to school, and he got, I think he had a 3.9 GPA, and got his degree. What ended up happening there was the beginning of the consequence of having a mental illness that is just gut-wrenching. People who go through that program leave with a job, And Chris wasn't even being referred for interviews. The stigma started before that. So when Chris was having the illness and he was beginning to get treatment, the school was treating him as if, as he said, I felt like I had no arms and legs. I'm really terrified with the stigma thing that young people today are going to get really set back especially if they're on university campuses or in schools. I mean, it's loaded. So what politicians really need to be talking about, if they're going to try to avoid situations like we've faced recently in Newtown, is to make sure that families don't get turned away when they're seeking help for their young loved ones who are 18 and over. It was such a shock to have Chris become sick, that I think what I learned with that was you never really can predict what life's going to throw at you. We've had a journey that I would never wish on any other parent or any other child, but it's drawn us incredibly close, and there's nothing we can't talk about, and I'm so excited for him. He's now reached a point where his life is back to having the normalcy he's entitled to. 
it took a long time to get there. <laughs>